This message entitled, Testimony Time, Easy as 123, was delivered to Christ Our Rock Bible Church on January 29th, 2023, by the Reverend Roy D. Warren, Jr. The scripture reference was John 5, 16-47. Story is told of a woman who had married a lonely widower. And while chatting with a friend, the subject of marrying a widower came up. I heard that widowers tend to talk at length about their first wives. Do you ever have that problem in your home? Oh, I used to, the wife responded, but I don't have that problem anymore. Well, how did you do it? How did you break him of that? Oh, it was pretty simple, actually. Whenever he started talking about his first wife, I start talking about my next husband. (laughs) And I guess that would work. You know, I guess that would work. Um, That would break the situation that would open it up to hear what needs to be truly heard and not just what somebody wants to fill somebody's head with. You remember last week, I was mentioning, and I mentioned it again here today, the story that I told about the man who absolutely insisted he's got to get across that river. Remember that? And he spotted this man on the back of a horse, and he asked him to take him across. And the man said yes, that he would. And so they hopped on, uh, he hopped on the back and took him over, and then The other guy took some guff from all the other people that were waiting to get across the river and had to ask other people. They were suggesting that he knew that that was Abraham Lincoln that was on that horse. And he swore up and down. He said, I did not know that was Lincoln. All I know is that he had a yes face. He had an expression. He had a look on on his face and in his eyes of somebody who would help out, if at all possible. Okay? Praise God. Had a yes face. Many years ago, there was a great man of God. His name was E. Stanley Jones. And Jones served most of his life as a missionary in India. He was one of those other lights. Okay? A light of the world, but he was 87 years old, and he had suffered a massive stroke besides, and this mighty man of God, he could not walk anymore, he could not speak, he could not see, and he could barely hear, but as he fought to recover, he told his daughter that he believed that he had one last book to write, he had written several through the years, but now in his disability, he, he thought, well, I think I can get, I think I can squeeze one more out of me, okay? And thinking that it might give him something to press forward toward, might give him something to have his focus on in the midst of his recuperation from his stroke. He agreed to help him. She agreed to help him. So Jones dictated the last book, last one he would ever write, into a microphone, okay? They didn't 
go to any 50 cent notebook and a pencil. They didn't have laptops, of course, back at that time, or electronic typewriters or computers or any of that. But they had this recorder, they had this microphone, and, and the book that he would then share through this microphone was called The Divine Yes. The Divine Yes. And in it, he said he had served the Lord with a measure of health and a measure of success all of his life. But, in, but that in the darkness and in the depression following his stroke, he wondered if everything that he had preached and taught was in fact true. He was having this more than a moment of doubt. His conclusion in the pain and in the weakness, in the heartbreak was, yes, it is true. All of the promises of God are yea and amen. We mentioned this last week, okay? And it's true. It's, he's, he's the yes. Jesus is the yes of God. Praise the Lord. Okay? All kinds of weakness and pain and, and heartbreak and so forth. He still discovered that yes, what he had been living for, what he had been sharing was indeed true, even though he was now experiencing a very difficult time. All of the promises of God are yes. Okay? And he says, I have experienced them in both joy and in sorrow. Praise God. E. Stanley Jones' life was one big, fat, exuberant yes to the Lord God Almighty. Paul's life, praise God, was in fact a resounding yes to the leading and the lordship of Jesus Christ. There is no shame in being a yes man or a yes woman in this understanding, you know, because they talk about, well, he's just a wimp. He just, you know, anytime the boss says anything, yes, yes, sir, yes. It's always yes. Do anything that you say, you know, and sometimes you can get criticized for that because you don't come up with any new ideas or whatever. But there's no shame in being a yes man or a yes woman or, or a yes child when the one we are saying yes to is indeed him, is indeed God, is indeed Jesus. Praise the Lord. The way God does it, he very clearly draws the correlation between the Father and the Son. That's what he's doing in our time here together. Okay, let me show you that. There are other things you could turn to. Oh my goodness. Will you look at the previous sections of scripture? Okay. We, uh, there's the woman of Samaria. We could have gone to the well. We could have talked about, you know, uh, all of that circumstance and that situation and how he treated her and so forth. You know, woman, believe me, the hour comes when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship what you know, and I worship what I know, for salvation is of the Jews. And he goes, and there's much more to the whole story. We could have gone through that. The disciples rejoin Jesus after he's had his discussion 
with the woman. Also then there was the conversion of the Samaritans because the whole village ended up believing because Jesus had dealt with her heart. Okay. Then there was the healing of the nobleman's son. I told you before, we can't cover all of the Gospel of John. You can't, you know, when you only got seven weeks, you can't cover absolutely everything. So I mention it. Okay. Then in chapter five, at the beginning, there was the healing at the pool of Bethesda. Praise God. And then when we come to verse 17, praise the Lord. Verse 17. We see that Jesus is claiming equality with God. And that's where I want to hit it. That's where I want us to see just who this Jesus is. Because I'm saying that's what we've got to see in this whole time is to see clearly who Jesus is. Because then when we get to the Lenten season, we've got to have a pretty good idea of who he really is. We can't just assume anything. Okay? All right, let's take a look at it. Starting with verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Okay? It means to toil. It means to be engaged in, in something constructive. Okay? It implies an occupation. Okay? Verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. <laughs> we got to get rid of this guy. He's coming up with stuff we don't get. We don't understand. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, that's the thing they griped about, but said also that God was his father. Imagine that, making himself equal to God. Well, the fact of the matter is, he is. He's part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he is. There is an equality there uh, with God. Now, he isn't the Father, but they are together in this thing called Christianity. Praise the Lord. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To bring the third one in too. Look at verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself. Okay? I'm not about to run around doing stuff in my own understanding. But what he sees the Father do... For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. We are vitally connected, the Father and myself. Verse 20. For the Father loveth the Son and showeth him, watch this, all things that himself doeth. Okay? And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. It's going to get even better. Than this. Verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Okay? For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. All right? Praise God. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. There's a sense in which they are one. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which has sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 24, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, namely the Father, hath, for, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is 
passed from death unto life. I want you to notice that it's very much present tense. Praise the Lord. Very much present tense. Jesus is God's yes. Now, if we go down to verse 30, I know there's more we could cover, but like I said, we can't, we can't cover everything, okay? So he, verses 25 to 29, okay? He makes it clear that, well, I'll just hit a little bit of it, okay, just to get it, just to show you something. Okay, it says here in verse 27, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. The word judgment is the Greek word crisis. Crisis. Now it's spelled with a K. You know in the English it's spelled with a C. Doesn't matter. But in the, in the Greek it's K-R-I-S-I-S. It was mentioned a little bit earlier Okay, in verse 22, when it says the father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son. And this judgment is that crisis. Okay, and it literally refers to the tribunal, which is where the governor would pronounce sentence in his judgment against people that were up for trial. Okay, and thereby bring about justice. Okay, all right, uh, marvel not at this, you know, don't, don't get all bent out of shape because you don't get this, I'm going to tell you about it. For the hour is coming, watch this, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, praise God, and shall come forth, and they that have done good, that is, literally have been vitally connected to Jesus, that's what it means when it says done good. Because what did, what did the, the teacher say to Jesus? You know, he said, good teacher, you know. How, what must I do to have eternal life? Remember this? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Okay. And then Jesus went on to explain, only God is good. So what was he saying? Well, for one thing, he's saying that he was God. I mean, the guy called him good teacher. And if God is the only one who's truly good and not faking it, okay, then Jesus is God. Praise the Lord. And he shall come forth, they that have done good. That's not just talking about done a list of the right stuff. That's not just it. It's having a relationship with the only one who is good, namely Jesus. They have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil, that is, those who have not had a relationship with Jesus unto the resurrection of damnation. Okay, back over to 30 now, okay? We're going we're gonna to go through 30 plus, 30 on, okay? Um, I can my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. If I be, now watch this carefully. Watch this very carefully. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. In other words, if he says, if he says, for example, this is what I think and this is what I believe, then watch out, because that's not where Jesus is getting this stuff. Get, Jesus is getting this stuff from the Father. Amen. 
So if I bear witness of myself, if I tell you, well, I think this and I think that, my witness is not true. Because it makes it clear through the scriptures that, the, that anything that is truly true needs proof. And if he just says, you know, that he's good and doesn't show it, doesn't live it, doesn't prove it, then it's not a real proof. Okay, verse 32. There is another that beareth witness of me. Now watch this. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. What's he talking about? The very next verse explains it. Ye, ye sent unto John. He's talking about John the Baptist, not John the gospel writer. Not the guy that's writing all these words down for Jesus. Uh-uh. No, this is John the Baptist. Ye sent unto John. And he bear witness unto the truth. Praise the Lord. Okay? So there's your number one. I told you. The testimony. The testimony. Three. Three things. It's the sermon title said testimony time. Easy as one, two, three. And this is the first one. Okay? So you can mark that down if you want. <laughs> if you think you can remember it, that's fine. But I always like to mark it down. Okay? He, he sent unto John, John the Baptist, and he bare witness unto the truth. And basically what he's saying is, you know, it's good that John is a witness to this whole thing. But that's not enough. It's not enough that John was this witness. It's good. It's important. It's true, okay, but it's not the whole truth. It's not the whole thing, okay? So where is the rest of it? All right. The truth, of course, is found in God's word and in his son, Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. He is the truth of God. Years ago, there was a film called Amistad. And it depicted the story of a ship, sailing vessel, of African slaves who fought for their freedom through the U.S. legal system. You wouldn't think they'd get very far, right? I mean, they're just slaves. Three times their case came to trial. Three times. And each trial ye yielded the same result. Three, get this, you wouldn't think this is true, but it is. There were three separate decisions for freedom. They proved that they should have been free. Okay? In both the factual evidence presented and in the climactic argument before the Supreme Court, one crucial element operated in the Africans' favor, and that was truth. No man has a right to do this to somebody else. I remember in the movie called Amazing Grace about uh, Wilberforce and the work that they did back in those days in England to get rid of the slave trade, which many people did not want to get rid of. 
You know, it's the same thing in the United States, you know, when the talk about abolition of slavery and so forth. Well, how in the world are these plantations going to run if they have to pay for their labor? You know, so that went on for years and years and years. When falsehood triumphs in our lives, we do remain enslaved. And it was these three Africans that kind of held up the light to that and showed that people do not have the right to do this to other people. I remember in that movie called Amazing Grace, one of the uh, prime ministers that were in the, um, what do they call that, parliament, okay? He said, we have no proof that even the slaves themselves or the, the uh, black people of Africa, that they don't like the slave trade. We don't have proof that they think that that's a bad thing. We don't have proof. Well, that's a bunch of malarkey. But you see, when you just go ahead and say words and don't have to prove anything, then you can kind of get by with murder, so to speak. Really, I mean, be, what, hundreds of people on that ship and there would be hundreds less by the time they got to the United States, by the time they got to wherever it is they were heading, as far as that goes. Because they were all locked up in little tiny areas. I mean, like no bigger than a casket and and they're in this thing and they're chained and they're not being fed and they're you know so forth and many of them would die along the way and they just throw them overboard probably the sharks and so forth would take care of things as far as that goes but you know to come out and say we had there's no evidence there's no evidence that this race of people objects to the slave trade there's no evidence well, like I said, if you can just go ahead and say things and not have to prove it, you can get by with a lot of stuff, including murder. When fal falsehood triumphs in our lives, we remain enslaved, besetting sins, addictions, disobedience. They wreak their tragic consequences. We yearn for freedom, but only God's truth has the power to set us free. Only God's truth. The truth that we need to release us from our chains comes from, in a very real way, comes from a disciplined study of God's word. Isn't that what Spurgeon said at the beginning of the hour? He said the word. Praise God. Truth about God, ourselves, and the awesome power of the gospel often lies just below a surface reading. You might as well know there are lots of people that might say they read their Bible every day, but for many, and I won't say everybody, but for many, it's just a surface reading. Just read the words. Don't think about it. Don't pray about it. The only deep exploration and submission to God's word yields the truth that explodes falsehoods and frees us. Only deep exploration and submission to God's word will do that. Okay, Frees us even from our chains. Praise the name of Jesus. You see, I think it's pretty conspicuous. I do. I think it's pretty conspicuous. I think it's pretty easy to understand, okay? Easy as 
one, two, three. Okay? And this is number one. That John the Baptist would point the way in the beginning. Would point the way and say, this here is the Messiah. He made it clear when they tried to say, are you the Messiah? He didn't say yes. I mean, he could have. He could have done that. Oh, <laughs> you might think that maybe he'd be praised for being the Messiah, but you know what? They're trying to kill Jesus for being the Messiah. And he said, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm here to point the way. I'm here to point the way to the Messiah. I'm here to bear witness to the truth. Look at verses... Uh, I'll pick it up at 33, but I'm going to go further. Watch this. He, ye sent unto John, there's number one, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man. Remember, Jesus said, I don't trust in man's ideas. We saw that last week. You know, I don't put a whole lot of authority in what people come up with, is what Jesus was saying. But these things I say, that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light. And ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John. Jesus is saying this now. I have greater witness than that of John. Verse 36. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, Bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Praise God. The Father gave John a witness. But have you ever noticed, I don't think you ever hear of John the Baptist having performed any miracles. You would think there would be miracles involved. You would think. Unless, of course, you are talking about, you know, Just the fact that when he was baptizing people, people got saved, and you could call that a miracle. But no, I'm talking about how he went around and healed people from diseases and, you know, changed their direction and so forth and so on. You don't hear about it with John. You hear about it all the time with Jesus, but you don't hear about it with John. Okay? It's a greater witness than John. That's why John the gospel writer is saying this. It's a greater witness than John. Number one, John. And he's, that's just terrific. But that's not all. Okay? That's not all. They are the works of God. Miracles given to Jesus by the Father. This, I believe, is the second thing. Like I said, it's easy as one, two, three. Okay? Assuming, since we don't hear about any miracles that John did, that he didn't do what we call miracles, healing people and that kind of thing, okay? But Jesus did, and Jesus was given those things by the Father. Amen? By the Father. So you got your number one, and you got your number two. And then there's a third step. Like I said, it's easy as one, two, three. Look at verse 37. Okay? And the Father himself, which hath sent me, this is Jesus speaking, 
hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. You know? The Father is a reality, but interesting that nobody's seen him. Okay? You, you haven't even really, except at the baptism of Jesus, you heard the words. You know, my, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Okay? But other than that, ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. Okay? In other words, he's a spirit and therefore doesn't have a body. The father, that is. Uh, shape is to view a form. It comes from the word to see. To see something. Okay? But he's saying you don't see him. Okay? And ye have... Yeah, let me go one more verse. And ye have not his word abiding in you for whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. See, it's always tied to Jesus. He's the key. Okay? John's great. John's terrific. Okay? And the Father, everybody should know the Father by now. They don't, however. The Jews, they didn't understand God. They were all messed up. They didn't think Jesus had any part of it, of the whole story. And he does. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's all through the scriptures. Okay? Verse 37, of course, makes it clear that you don't hear his, don't hear his voice, except, like I said, at the baptism, you know. And you haven't seen his shape. You haven't viewed his form. He doesn't have a body. Okay? That might be the one thing that actually hindered people from seeing the reality of Jesus because he had a body. And they didn't get, they didn't understand that he also had a spirit. Okay? Praise God. He didn't, Jesus said, we saw this last week, that he didn't trust the truth in people. He didn't trust them to get it right. He gave it to them, that's for sure, okay? But Jesus went along and still gave himself to others. He didn't trust somebody else to get the whole thing straight, okay? Because he knew what was in man. That's what we saw last week. He knew what was in him. You know, God does not lie. People do. And that's not to say anybody trying to really share the truth of these things is going to lie about it. But Jesus is saying, I'm still here. <laughs> and I'm still going to give the whole picture. Okay? It's as easy as one, two, three. He didn't trust the truth in people. They needed, well, first of all, these people weren't born again. These people weren't saved. Okay? They may have been Jewish and they may have had all kinds of years to spend in the synagogue or whatever, but they didn't get it. They didn't see that Jesus was the Messiah. But then, when they were truly born again, they and we could have that truth in reality. But before we're born again, it's not, 
it's not going to come clearly. It's not going to be clear. It's not going to be conspicuous, okay? But with salvation, it is, okay? Now, without that, it would be all downhill. Look at verses 38. Look at what happens in these next several verses. Watch this. And ye have not his word abiding in you. You guys don't have the word of God. You think you do, but you don't. For whom he hath sent him, ye believe not. Okay? Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me, a real person. Okay? Search the scriptures, seek them, investigate them, dig into them. Like I said, below the surface, because just the surface is not going to get you very deep. So there's a studying of that word. Praise the Lord. And ye will not come, and verse 40 says, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. He's talking to the Jews, remember. And so he's telling them, you don't really want what we're talking about here. You don't really want it. There's no surrender. I don't see any surrender in you guys. Verse 41, I receive not honor from men. So he's saying the same thing we heard last week. But I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. It all comes down to that. You think you know God. You think you know the Father, but you don't even have the love of God in you. Proven by the fact that you're trying to kill me. Okay? Glory be to God. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. You are trying to get rid of me. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will, ye will receive. In other words, somebody else could come along and say, well, I think this and I think that, and you'd buy it. You'd believe it. You'd just follow right in their footsteps. You'd just go along with what they're saying. That happened over and over and over again. These false prophets that would come along and, and speak something that was not really of God. And you just follow along. Oh yeah, this is great. This is great. This is a good thing. But you don't even know God. You don't know the love of God and therefore you don't know God. Verse 44. How can ye believe? Now remember, he's talking to the Jews. He's not talking to his own followers. He's talking to the Jews. Which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only. Okay? Those who have a true saving faith will not be motivated, will not be motivated by the love of praise or honor or esteem. And that's what was happening. And that's what happens in so much of today's church and glory that comes from other people. You know, there's just, it's all, you know, for a lot of things, it's made up. They, they will set before themselves the goal of pleasing the Father. Those who establish a habit of receiving glory from others make idols of themselves and place themselves outside the kingdom of God. To care for the praise of men more than the praise of God is to disbelieve the gospel of Christ and make genuine faith impossible. Do you think 
that I will accuse you to the Father. Accuse is kataguroko, and it means a complaint or a criminal charge. Do you think I'm going to accuse you to the Father? Is that what you're thinking? That there is one that accuses you. I don't, and she says, I'm not even going to bother with that. I'm not even going to bother with that. Because there is one that accuses you, even Moses. You claim that you're following Moses and his word. And you don't even know what you're talking about. That's what he's saying. You don't get it. There is one that accuses you, and that's Moses in whom you put your trust. I mean, you think you are. I mean, he wrote the law, and yet you are ignoring it. Okay? I mean, the law, forgetting, let's see, let me put it this way. The law that doesn't include Jesus, that doesn't include Jesus, is incomplete until it does include Jesus. See, and they didn't want Jesus. <laughs> They're trying to get rid of him. They hate him. They, they want to get, they want to kill him. They want to get rid of him. Okay? There is one that accuses you and it's, it's the one you, you are constantly pointing to and saying he's great and that's Moses. And you, you say you're putting your trust in him, but without Jesus, it means nothing. For had ye believed Moses, watch this, verse 46 and 47. Had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me. See what he's saying? If you would have just believed, if you would have believed Moses for real, you'd be believing in me because he pointed to me. Okay, he wrote of me. It's the same testimony. Amen. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? How are you going to believe me if you're not even going to really take into account what Moses was talking about because Moses was pointing to me? Does everybody see that? You see what I'm talking about? Amen? Praise God. Verse 37. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Verse 47 again. Verse 47. But ye believe not his writings. How shall ye believe my words. You guys, you don't get it. You're not. You think you're following Moses. You think you're, but Moses was all about me. Moses was talking about me and my coming. And you don't want me. And you don't want my coming. Okay? So you don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> you really got it. I mean, this, he's really getting after them. This passage, I believe, is important in establishing Christ's view of the Bible and specifically even the Old Testament. He indeed believed that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. Now, some of you may not remember this, but a number of years ago, we had a fella 
who tried to suggest that Moses did not write the Pentateuch. And I'm sorry, I had to stand up for what God says in his word. And I said clearly, and by the way, I'm not sorry about it. I say that, but I'm not sorry about it. I went ahead and stood up and said, this is it. This is Mo the Bible makes clear that Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. I could take you back through it and I could show you verses in some of the other books of that, of that Pentateuch that said that Moses wrote this. But for some reason he had in his head that he's got to, he's got to you know, deny that. He's got to, you know, Moses did not write this stuff. The lesson the Jews needed and one that we need today is this. If one does not believe in the inspiration and the truthfulness of the Old Testament writings, he will not believe, watch this, he will not believe or submit to the authority of Jesus' words and the New Testament writings which bear witness to him. You know, if you're going to be fighting against with what the word of God says, and it said clearly that Moses wrote those, okay, and you're going to try to palm it off on somebody else and thereby, I don't know, bypass the whole thing, you're really missing the point, okay? You're really missing the point. I think maybe, in, and I'll close with this. In every group of people, every institution, every organization, there are people who are opposed to change. Anybody ever notice that? There are people that are opposed to change. It could be your workplace, it could be your church place, it could be your school place, it could be whatever, okay? People who are ready to change and people who just want to wait and see. Studies have shown that 10% of any given group are innovators. They're ready to try new things and they're ready to risk the change. But 80%, watch this, are the show me types. You know, the Missouri people, you know, because they say people from Missouri say, show me. Right? Show me. They might change, but you first have to prove to their satisfaction that change is advantageous. And then finally, there's 10%, and those are generally the naysayers. They're against any change at all, regardless of the advantages. Stories told of a church, and like I said, this, I'll close with this illustration. The story is told of a church who were basically in the midst of a near riot because of a movie projector. That's right, a movie projector. Someone brought a projector into the church and showed a film. Now, the film had biblical content, of course, and a meeting of the church leadership was called in order to debate it. Should this have been allowed? Or well, it's a little late now, you know. I mean, if you're gonna deal with it, deal with it before, but we can't have this, some said. We can't have this. Others argued that the movie projector was no real big deal. We bring in missionaries all the time and they show their slides. Uh, 
So what's wrong with a movie that talks about the Lord? Well, the naysayers quickly took the matter in hand, and here's what they came up with. Get this. If the pictures stand still, that's all right. If the pictures stand still, that's all right. But if they move, it's sin. People will go to great lengths to have their way. There are absolutes, there's no doubt. There are things that are negotiable, but you can't confuse the two, okay? What is clearly taught in God's word is not up for debate, okay? Not up for debate. But what is not addressed specifically is not really worth clearing the house over, so to speak, okay? Got to recognize that, you know, what does God really think about this thing? In the absolutes, what's in all the absolutes? Namely, obedience. What's in the, in the negotiables? Liberty. And in all things, okay, in the absolutes and the negotiables, there's love. There's the love of God. Praise the Lord. So it is testimony time, and it's not real hard. It's as easy as one, two, three. It's time for my insulin, if I were eating. <laughs> Sorry about that. I wonder why that's never gone off before like that. Oh, well. Anyway, um, it's testimony time, and it's not hard. It's really as easy as one, two, three. It's really, you want to come with, an up, up and, with another word for it? It's called surrender. Surrender to the heart of God, surrender to the will of God, surrender to his direction, to his everything. And, and that, quite honestly, is pretty conspicuous okay pretty conspicuous hallelujah glory be to God let's keep our eyes on the Lord amen let's keep our eyes on Jesus that's what I told this woman at the nursing home the other day keep looking at Jesus keep looking at Jesus hear what he has to say to you if, if for example if he's speaking to you about him being you know the living water, okay? That which provides life in the midst of death. There you go. Keep your eyes on that. Amen? And uh, praise God, I hope that's exactly what she did. I do believe it is because she was rather insistent upon it, okay? And so let's just do the same thing in our own in our own situations, our own circumstances. Jesus is Lord. Amen? Praise the name of Jesus. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for this day. You have given your heart, dear God. You are desiring, Lord, to uh, fill us, Lord, with your truth and your understanding, and we thank you for all of it. You are worthy to be praised. We love you, Lord. We need you in these last of days. 
And we thank you, dear God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, go in God's peace. Amen? Amen.